morning, church. Can we give it up for our band for leading us in worship this morning? I know I jumped the gun on the music a little bit, but I appreciate that you guys are with me there. Uh, if I've not had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Derek Blewett, and I'm one of the student pastors here at GM, and I'm just so stoked to be with you this morning. Um, I want to start by thanking Pastor Tim and Carrie for giving me this opportunity to preach God's word for you this morning and to be part of the Dream On series. Um, and as I was preparing for today, uh, I part of the, one of the things that we get to do as student pastors is we get to go out and do a lot of things with our students in their own lives. And so that means that in the fall, that means we go to a lot of high school football games. Um, and like, I'm from Southern California, so like I was never raised in the religion that is football that we have out here. But like, I've been to more games, like high school football games here than I ever went to when I was in high school playing high school football. It's insane. But we go, we had this little game on Friday that's now known as the Whataburger Bowl. Like, it's a, it's a high school football game, folks, but it's between Lone Star and Wakeland High Schools, which two big schools, two of our most well-represented high schools infuse, and so it was a great opportunity for us to spend some time with students, cheer on the kids that we know, connect with new students, connect with their families, and it was this cool moment because it looked like Wakeland was whooping Lone Star for most of that game, and like, just... It wasn't, it wasn't pretty at times. And then it started getting interesting. It was going back and forth until the last second where Lone Star comes from behind and steals the win at the very last minute, wins the Whataburger Bowl. See, I thought people would get a little more excited about high school football than that. I was like, well, yeah, this is going to be a great opener. But, like, I get it. Pity cheers from the Fusers. But... As I, as I watched this game unfold, I couldn't help but be just entranced by that comeback story. I think we all love a good story where we think it's going to end one way and that it ends up somewhere completely different, right? Like that movie that has the twist ending at the last minute where you think it's over, the heroes are defeated, and then something comes out of nowhere to save the day. Like I think about the, a modern classic, Saving Private Ryan, there's a, mo there's a scene at the end, Tom Hanks' character is squaring off against a German tank with a pistol. Like, it looks like, oh, we're going to see Tom Hanks get blown up by this tank here. And then all of a sudden, it's the tank that gets blown up. Or I think about one of the, the most iconic sports moments that have ever happened. Super Bowl 51. The New England Patriots come from behind 28-3. to Say Tom Brady's not the GOAT. Get out of here. Come on now. To all my Atlanta fans, I'm sorry. It's not personal. Or I think about, this is, this is going back a little bit, but there's a, I think, a classic movie from the late 90s known as The Waterboy. Now, I have to confess something to you this morning. Again, I'm from Southern California. I didn't know a soul from Louisiana at this point. And so, in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is a documentary on what it's like to be from Louisiana. <laughs> and now I look back and, like, God has redeemed me, so, like, I know that that's not how all people are from Louisiana. But now that I've been there, I know it's not that far off. Um, <laughs> but this is iconic moment where, you know, Bobby Boucher, this water boy that ends up being a football star... Get, like leaves the team and it's heartache and drama because it's a late 90s movie so it has every movie has the exact same plot 
And he comes back at the end, like at halftime, and ends up winning the Bourbon Bowl for his team. And it's this iconic moment where you think you know how it's going to end. You think you know what's going to happen at the end of the story. But then something dramatic changes it. And see, we've been looking at the life of Joseph for the past 10 weeks. And I, I honestly think this is one of the, if not the longest sermon series that I've ever experienced at GM. And I've been here for nine years. But there's so much that God is trying to teach us through this story. That as we get to this part now, we've seen Joseph go from the 11th son who was sold into slavery by his brothers. And he went from a slave to a steward. He went from the prison to the palace, and he has this just high drama life where he grows up in captivity, and he's raised to end up being the savior of the most powerful nation of the, in the world at that time. And then he finally has this reconciliation, this reunion with his brothers, and he sees part of the God dream that has been placed in his life come to pass, but the story isn't over. And so we're going to see this morning that even though God might have done something in your life, even if something tragic has happened in your life, the story isn't over. God has something more for you in this moment and in this season. And if you would hold on, there's someone that needs that story too. And so as we go through Genesis 45, Joseph is preparing to send his brothers off to get his family. He's telling them, you need to go home, you need to get dad, you need to get the whole family together and bring them back because I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you because this famine's not over and we, like, you, need, you need me. Come back, bring them back. It's time for the family to get back together. And we're going to pick up the story in verse 13 where Joseph says, You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. I think it's so interesting that Joseph, after 17 plus years, is still longing for his father. The opinion of his father still weighs on him. The love that his father lavished on him is still a core memory in his life. The weight of that coat that caused this whole story to begin still weighs on Joseph's shoulders. And all he wants is for the God dream to come to pass, that he would see his father again. And I think it's worth noting that he doesn't tell his brothers, tell dad of all the terrible things I've been through. He's not telling them, dad, like, tell dad that I was a slave for like 15 years. He's not saying, tell dad of all my suffering. Tell dad of all that I've endured, all that I've gone through, all the evil and the wrong that's been done to me. He says, tell dad of the honor that God has lavished on my life. Because Joseph's story isn't about what he had had happened to him. It's not about what he has gone through. In this life. It's about what God has done through him. And I think so oftentimes when we look at this story or we look at our own lives, we get caught up in the things that have been done to us. I know that I've done that because I've been through that. 
But how many times are we bragging about the honor and the blessing that God has poured out on our lives? Joseph's telling them, tell dad of the blessing that's resting on my life, that the story isn't over. See, he's saying, go home. Share what's happened. Tell dad who I am now. Because this bond that's shared between Joseph and his father, Jacob, goes beyond just a father and a son now. Joseph's story is possible because what Jacob decided as a younger man. See, Joseph is able to endure everything that he goes through in this life because his father Jacob wrestled with God for him. See, Jacob's story really begins at this moment a long way back in Genesis, way earlier than this point, where he's caught between a literal rock and a hard place, where he is stuck at the end of his rope, where, he is, where all the lies and the cheating and the stealing that he's done up to that point are now coming due. And he has nowhere else to turn except for God. And if you're anything like me, you know exactly what that feeling is. And so Jacob does the only thing that he could possibly do in this moment, and he seeks God, but he seeks God in a way that, like, I would never do. He literally wrestles him. But he wrestles him to the point where, even though he would never physically walk the same, he'd never let go until God blessed him. And that blessing rested on Jacob's life for the rest of his time on earth, and it passed down to his family as well. Because Jacob wrestled, because a father was willing to wrestle with God, his son was able to endure. See, I think for all my adults in the room, we've lived enough life to know that our story doesn't begin with us, don't we? We know that the people that have gone before us that they laid the groundwork that we started in. And I know a lot of you in this room, you were blessed to have parents that wrestled with God for you. That you live in the blessing that your parents began with. And that you now get to pass that blessing on to the next generation. But I know that some of you in this room are living a life that has happened in spite of the story that came before you. That some of you look back at the stories that happened before you, and they're not an example for you to follow. They're a cautionary tale for you to avoid. And I can't help but think that as the adults, as the current generation of our church, we have a responsibility to the next generation. Not just our kids, but to the younger generations that follow after us, that look up to us and think, how do I get through this life? And as we are going through a world that doesn't make sense anymore, imagine what those fusers have to go with. Imagine the world that they are living in right now and the world that they will grow up in. What mark are we leaving for them to follow? What example are we setting? Are we setting the example that if we hustle and grind and follow after the dying American dream that they will find that happiness that we can never find? 
Are we following after God and showing them that the only peace, the only hope, the only love that you will ever find in this world can only come through the gospel of Jesus? Church, we got to start wrestling. Because our story isn't over. See, Jacob wrestled for the blessing that his son was now walking in. And so Joseph is now telling his brothers, go home and tell dad that the blessing that I grew up seeing, it's on me now too. Tell dad. Tell dad that he could be proud of me. But now Joseph's blessing and favor are being poured out for the family that wronged him. See, we skip down a couple verses and we see that how proximity matters in a story like this. Starting in verse 16, it says that when news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Can you imagine being the most powerful person in the world and caring about what your servant's life was going through? Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals, return to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives, and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings, because the best of all of Egypt will be yours. Never mind your stuff. Whatever possessions that you have back home, just leave it. Like, can you imagine if you just got this, like, email and it's like, hey, just the house that you own, the cars that you have, just abandon them. Because what I have for you, like, in Montana is so much better than what you have in Frisco. It seems a little crazy, but when the most powerful person on earth is telling you that I'm willing to pour out blessing on your life just because of who you're connected to, I think you got to respond there. See, I think when you look at Joseph's brothers, they spent most of the story being so worried and caught up on pistachios and they're like six donkeys that they've forgotten that they are going in front of the most powerful people on earth. But it all happens because of the connection and the bond between Joseph and Pharaoh. Joseph was not just a servant to Pharaoh. It's so clear that he was like family to him. Pharaoh cared about Joseph. I believe that Pharaoh knew the story. He knew what this moment meant for Joseph, that this is something that he's been dreaming about for years and years and years. And so now Pharaoh gets to experience that secondhand joy. Like, have you ever had that moment where you looked at someone and you saw how happy they were and you just get happy because they're happy? Like, have you ever seen those videos where like a service member comes home and reunites with their kids. I can't even look at that photo. I know the photo's up. I can't look at it. Like, I am not, I promise, I'm not an emotional person. But like when I see that, like those kinds of videos, I weep. Weep. Or like if a dog or a pet gets reunited, like, oh. <laughs> I can't deal. Like it just, nope. I'm gonna start crying just thinking about it. But it's, there's something about seeing that joy for someone else that brings joy for us too. 
And how much more is that multiplied when it's someone that you love? See, it's that connection and that bond between Joseph and Pharaoh that leads to Joseph's family being blessed. Because I believe that Pharaoh understood what was his own circumstances. I believe that he understood the reality of his life, that all the blessing that had been poured out for Egypt, that all the blessing that had been poured out for himself happens because of Joseph. That's how the story unfolds, that Joseph is the one that has the dream that, or that, that warns Pharaoh that there's going to be seven great years, and then there's going to be seven terrible years. Joseph is the one that helps Pharaoh become the person that he is, not just a king, but the most powerful man on earth. So Pharaoh knew that the blessing of God rested on his life because who he was connected to. And so he knew that that blessing wasn't meant to stop with him. He knew that he had an opportunity to share that blessing with somebody else, somebody that he cared about. And if you've been in church, especially in Frisco, for any length of time, you've probably heard the phrase that we've been blessed to be a blessing, some version of that, to the point where I think it becomes common. I think it becomes something that we can hear and we think, oh, that's cute. It's trite. It's a funny saying. It's alliterative. But just because it sounds good and just because it's repeated doesn't mean it's not true. Your life, the blessing that's been poured out upon you, was not meant to stay with just you. And that doesn't mean just your material things. That might be part of it. But what about your experience? What about your wisdom? What about your energy? What about your creativity? What about the story that you've lived? Do you think it's possible that someone in this room needs the hard-earned wisdom that you've earned in this life? Do you think that there's someone that could walk through these doors one day that needs a friend that's gone through what you've gone through? The blessing that God has poured out on you is not meant to stash and store in a vault that no one can access. God is calling us that every part of our life should be available to the kingdom. But how oftentimes do we think, well, this is mine? How oftentimes do we hold on to what God is telling us to let go of? See, I think a lot of you know exactly what it took to earn what you have. Money, possessions, all that stuff. I get it. But I'm talking more about the life that you have. The freedom that you have. Someone needs that story. Someone needs your hope. Someone needs your blessing to reach their next chapter. But I think so oftentimes we get lost in the what that we forget about the why. And I think Joseph knew this about his brothers. Right? Just because they had spent only a little bit of time together doesn't mean you forget the people that are so close to you. He, Joseph knew what his brothers were capable of. He knew what distractions could do in their life. He, remember, he was the one in the well that heard them arguing about whether they should kill him or sell him. Joseph was the one that heard them bicker in the palace on their first reunion when they didn't think that he could understand them. He knew what they were capable of. And so he sends them off and he tells them about the preparations that they need to make. But when we skip down to verse 24, his last words to his brothers before they leave are this. Then Joseph sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, Don't quarrel on the way. Don't quarrel on the way. 
like, I have a newfound love for this word coral. Like, I'm, I'm going to use this at Fuse going forward. I'm going to, like, just, whenever these kids start acting up, hey, 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 stop it, stop quarreling. Like, there's something about saying it that just makes me feel powerful. Like, I love it. See, Joseph knew that what was happening in the brother's life at that point could be a distraction. And he knew that the distractions that were coming up, that the possibility of those things could derail their perseverance. Those distractions in life can pull you off of the path that God has placed in front of you. And I think that one thing that I've learned in this life that when you go through something with someone, like that builds a bond, doesn't it? That shared suffering, that brings people together. Like if you were living in Frisco during Snowmageddon a couple years ago, man, we went through it. You live through COVID in America, you get it. That shared suffering will build a bond. But blessing? Blessing can become a barrier. When good things start happening in the life, when that company that you're working at, all of a sudden a new level of success is found, is everyone cheering for each other? Or are they biting each other in the back? When things are going so well on that team, is everyone talking about how great each other is playing? Or are they talking about how great that they're playing? Blessing is a good thing, but so oftentimes we get distracted by it. And so when I hear this verse, I hear God saying, knock it off. Just knock it off. Like, whatever is happening right now that could be the small distraction in your life, knock it off. Because let's, let's take a step back as a church family for a moment. We are about to enter into our promised land. We have like three weeks until we get to 3330. Mere days until we step into a new season as a family that we've never experienced before. Do you think it's possible that something might come up that could be a distraction for your family? Do you think it's possible that something could get in the way that would lead to dissension, that would lead us to bicker, that there are opportunities coming that, I don't know, be hypothetical with me, that could pull your family away from what God is trying to do in them, that maybe if you stay connected to where God has placed the blessing that maybe God has something in front of you for you and your family. Church, there's too much at stake. I'm not saying this as a pastor. I'm saying this as your brother in Christ. There's too much at stake. There's so much that God is placing in front of us right now. There are lost souls out there that are waiting to come through those doors in three weeks, and if you get distracted, if you get pulled off the path that God has placed in front of you, who is going to share your story? 
Who is going to be the shoulder that they need to cry on? Because I promise you, not everyone gets my story. Not everyone has gone through what I've experienced. Not everyone has gone through what Pastor Tim and Pastor Carrie have experienced. But there are people that have gone through what you've experienced. There are families that have gone through what your family has experienced. They need you. So if something comes up and it's this little thing that you're like, well, I just, I, I don't like how he said that. Knock it off! I promise you, with all the grace and the love that's in my heart, if I offend you, I'm sorry. I do not mean to. But also, with the authority of Jesus and the word of God, knock it off! You have a part to play in the story. See, Jacob knew this. And Joseph knew this. And so, Joseph knew that as he was sending his brothers back, they couldn't get distracted. And so we see what happens at the conclusion of this part of the story, starting in verse 25. It says, So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. I don't blame him. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. I'm convinced. He doesn't have this grand declaration of faith. He doesn't have this powerful moment. He just says, I get it. You're right. I'm convinced. This moment of realization of a father who's believed for 17 years that the favored son of his most beloved wife, the one that he thought has been lost, is still alive. See, imagine being Jacob in this moment. The last time we see him, last time he's seen the brothers, he sent them away thinking that not only did he lose Joseph chapters and chapters before this, he was going to lose Simeon and he was going to lose Benjamin as well. He's like, I'm sending you off and you're going to screw this up and then I'm going to die because I can't handle it anymore. The relief is palpable. Like he would have just been glad to see the brothers come home. And then they come up with this story that makes no sense. Like, have you ever had that moment where someone comes up to you and they just, they spin a tail, right? Like, maybe it's your kids. Like, they come up and they, like, just start telling you about, like, why is that vase broken? And it has to do with the dog. And then someone broke in. And then, you know, really it was like, well, then a football came out of nowhere. And, like, I tried to block it. And I just missed. I'm really sorry. Like, you wouldn't imagine the things that, like the lies that students have come up with at Fuse, like you would not imagine the things that they've told me before. Actually, you probably would, but like, or maybe you've had that moment where someone's offered you like a deal. You know, if you're a fantasy football player, you get that trade offer. Or just through life, you have that moment, you're like, man, this is too good to believe. I think Jacob is in this moment and he's thinking, this is too good to believe. Joseph can't be alive. He, he died 20 years ago. 
man, but it's not too good to believe. It's too God to not believe. With God, we have, there's these moments and there's these possibilities that we think can't possibly happen. There's stories that are unfolding that we think this is not possible. But with God, all things are possible. See, Jacob makes this statement. Israel makes this statement that I'm convinced. And he says some other things afterwards that support it, and reinforce what he's going through. And we can't identify with that. I mean, I don't know, like maybe you have 11 brothers, but I don't. And I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that none of us had a father that like wrestled, literally wrestled with God or saw a ladder with angels going up and down and doing all these crazy things that Jacob went through. So we can't identify with that part, but I think we can all identify, or we all have an area of our life where we need to be convinced. Where we're living life right now as if it was dead. Where there's a part of our story that we're experiencing right now where we think it's already over. That chapter is closed. I've moved on. There's no going back. And I think that's why we need to be convinced sometimes. I think that's why we need to have these moments where we come face to face with God and realize that what we think is reality and what we believe is real is not. Because we're not always going to be passionate. We're not always going to suffer. We're not always going to live in doubt or worry or concern. We're not always going to be on fire for God. And that's why we have to keep going back to where he is. That's why we have to keep reading the word. That's why we have to keep going to church. That's why we worship and we raise our hands and we sing songs. It's because he is worthy of it and because we need it. There's a reciprocal process that happens here. You pour in. You plant seeds in life. You invest in people. You invest in a story. You invest in a community. You invest in the gospel. And one day, the harvest that you helped plant ends up reviving you. The statement that you need comes from the, the, what you sow in this life. And what if the Jacob inside you needs to be revived this morning so that the Israel inside of you could be convinced? See, Jacob lived in sorrow for 17 years. His life was defined by the sorrow of a loss that is unimaginable. To the point where it broke his spirit. Not just his heart, but how he viewed life. How he went through his day. There was a void that could never be filled. There was a hurt that could never be healed because of this loss. And I bet the sad reality is is that there's some people in here this morning that you're living with a broken spirit. That you have had your spirit broken by the things that you've lost. By the story that you live in right now. And I'm not saying you're not saved. 
Because I believe that there are saved people in this room this morning that are living with a broken heart. That are living with a broken spirit. That you trust in God. You'll come in on a Sunday morning, you'll worship with everything that you have, but everything that you have has been diminished by the pain that you've experienced. Your heart has a hole in it. The passion that you once lived with has been put out. The energy and the enthusiasm that once defined your life is running on empty and you're, not, you're no longer living, you're just surviving. And I don't think that's an age thing. I think that's an attitude. Because I've seen middle schoolers live as if they were dead. That talk about how they have no hope for what's to come, and they have no plans for their life beyond the next week. At 12 years old, I've seen high schoolers who are so scared of the future that they can't even make plans for what could happen. I've seen young adults walk through life thinking that the treadmill of existence that they have experienced is the only hope that they have. And that just getting through another work week was the only thing that was getting them by. See, it didn't matter how old Jacob was. Jacob just believed that his son was dead. But it was the story of Joseph that brought him back to life. It was the revelation that the son was alive. So what revived his soul and I think there's a lot of things in your life that you, are th that you think, that you believe, are dead. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something in your past. Maybe it's an experience. Maybe it's something that you once loved, but has now been broken forever. See, but God, the God that I worship, the God that I cling to, he has a way of bringing the dead things back to life. See, I think there's some of you in here that need to hear, maybe for the very first time, that he's still alive. That that stone was rolled away. That the hope that we cling to as believers in Jesus is that he, that death didn't hold him. That he has been brought back to life, not just to be a historical figure, not just to be a prophet, not just to be a teacher that we look to and say he had really good things to say. He came back so that he could be the savior of the world. And I think some of you need to be reminded that the son is still alive. That you don't have to go through this experience the way that you're told to any longer. That what you are living in when you go to your job, what you're living in around those friends that don't have the hope that you have, when you are going through that life, you don't need to live that American lifestyle anymore. You can cling to the fact that the sun is still alive and that hope has never died, that the story isn't over. See, I know that because that's my story right now. 
I'm going through a season of life where I've, I have gone through moments where I felt like my hope is dead. And I know I'm a preacher and I'm a pastor and that's something harsh to say from someone on a stage, but that's the reality of life. And when I've gone through those moments where I felt like there is no answer, where I felt like everything has abandoned me, the only hope that I can cling to is that the sun is still alive, that I might not have the answer, I might not have the solution. I might not have the means to get out of the problems that I'm facing, but I know who can. And that I know that my story isn't over. And that I know that what he has placed before me is worth going through any storm. And that I'm not going to be distracted by the things in front of me. I'm going to walk the path that God has placed before me because it's worth wrestling for this church. Your family is worth wrestling for. Your teenagers are worth wrestling for. I care about the future of our next generation. I care about their well-being. I want to be the example that they can look to and say, if Derek could endure that, I can go through this. And the beautiful thing about this church is that that, that mentality, that heart, comes from the very top. We are so blessed and I feel so blessed that I get to say this. That we have pastors that have wrestled for 20 plus years for us to be in this moment. That we have pastors that care not about the brand, but they care about you. They don't care about a building. They care about what God is doing in our families. What God is doing for the next soul. And so at this church you can know that it's not just me and it's not just Tim and Carrie, but we have a staff. We have leaders in this church that are going to wrestle for you, that we will wrestle for the next family. We will wrestle for the next child. We will wrestle for the next student. We will wrestle for the next young adult. We will wrestle for the next prodigal. We will wrestle for the next soul that needs to be saved because the lost are ready to come home and they're waiting on us to share our story. They're waiting on us to get over these distractions. So church this morning, hold on to that hope. The story isn't over. Good or bad, God's not done with you yet. Because he has so much more in store. Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, thank you. That we can live this life knowing that you've cared so deeply for us, that you've gone before us. That no matter what we experience in this world, good, bad, mundane, ugly, that we know that whatever we're facing with you, what we think is dead can always come back to life. That our hope, that our love, that our endurance, that our patience, there's always a new chapter that what we think is dead is just waiting to be revived. So, Father, I pray that as we enter into this time of worship, that we remember what you've done. 
We look at what you're doing around us and we hold on to the hope that has been placed before us, knowing that we play a part in a story that echoes into eternity. Someone needs us. We love you.